it's, it's always great to be here. It, it really does feel like home from home, not just because uh, Jeremy's British, but because of the sense of connection in the spirit and uh, our connections of heart together that is just so great. Um, Jesus makes really clear what the mandate is all about when he says in the Lord's Prayer, pray this way, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The mandate is God's kingdom coming to earth, transforming earth. And uh, when you look in Revelation, you get a glimpse of what's going to happen because the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever, and that the reign that's taking place right now in heaven comes to earth, and we are to partner Jesus in bringing God's kingdom to earth. This is an incredible assignment. This is a, a joyous assignment because the earth is not destined to be in bondage to decay by being connected to lies and belief systems that don't originate from the heart of Jesus. But the earth is destined to be released from this bondage and brought into wholeness. And it's the sons of God, according to Scripture, that are going to be the the key, the people that mediate God's heavenly kingdom and into the, bring it into the earth. And so our assignment is to cooperate with heaven's agenda for heaven to come to earth. And the great thing about it is that as great as that is, Jesus doesn't leave us clueless as to how it is to happen. He wants to equip us. He wants to train us. He wants to give us understanding how we can cooperate with him, can cooperate with Holy Spirit, not only to bring heaven to earth, but to see this earth transformed. You know, the reality is this. If he can transform me, he can transform anyone. If he can transform an individual, he can transform a family. If he can transform a family, he can transform a village. If he can transform a village, he can transform a city. If he can transform a city, he can transform a region. If he can transform a region, he can transform a nation. If he can transform the nation, he can transform the world. Because the seed has within it the power to completely bring transformation. And God could do it himself, and he certainly could have done it more quickly if he engaged the angels but he has chosen to do it with us who are made in his image and likeness and has made us agents of transformation to bring his kingdom, heaven's realm, into the world. And so I want you to turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 9 so that we can see how this process of transformation comes about. And for us to learn how to cooperate, how to do it God's way. Because once we get on track with God, doing it His way, then it's a whole lot better and easier and more successful than us trying to do it by our own thinking and programs and ideas. Luke chapter 9, right at the beginning, Jesus gave the twelve power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases, and he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom. And after sending them out, 
they report back to him all the great things that had happened. And um, what I want us to do is to pick up the storyline in uh, chapter 9 and down in verse 46. Because I want to show how we are able to shift spiritual atmospheres and to change cultures by our lives. This is what happened to the disciples. We are no different to them. If it could happen to them, it can happen to us. It's merely connecting with the Lord, partnering with the Holy Spirit, because we have the authority and the power to shift atmospheres and change cultures. Let's pick it up then in verse 46. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. You, you always know this is not a good place to start, but this, this stuff is going on. You know, they'd seen demons cast out, they'd seen the sick healed, they'd seen some amazing things, and guess what? They're not perfect. And this is the wonderful thing about God. He doesn't use us because we're perfect, but what he does do is perfect us as he uses us. And so if you think you're not perfect this morning, I want to say you qualify. Because neither were the disciples perfect, even though they'd already been sent out. Jesus knew he was giving them, giving power and authority to imperfect people. That's the kind of thing that he does so that the glory goes to him. So that we can never say, wow, you know, wasn't it amazing? We did it. Actually, we're imperfect people that are becoming perfected as we partner with him, bringing transformation to the world. So, an argument is broken out. Which one of them might be the greatest? Verse 47. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. This kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And that uh, instead of people trying to work out which one is the greatest, Jesus is saying, actually, it's the one who's the servant. The one who's the least is the greatest in the kingdom. And then the story goes on. Verse 49. Jesus answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. Mistake number two. Not only are they comparing themselves with themselves and saying who's the greatest, they're now seeking to control other people's behavior, saying you can't do that. And uh, I think there's a sense of conceitedness in them that we're the disciples of Jesus. We do this thing. You don't. So stop it. And Jesus is going, don't do it. So clearly, these people still have got things to learn. These disciples haven't got it all together yet. And just to um, confirm this, We'll carry on reading. 
When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, send messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So here you've got this triple cocktail. You've got comparison and jockeying for position. Who is the greatest? This is among the twelve. This is among, these are amongst apostles. You understand these are apostles. Some attitude, huh? And then there is this seeking to control because we are the in crowd. We stick around Jesus. We do this stuff. You don't. So therefore stop it. And Jesus says, don't do that because it's not just through the 12 that he's wanting to use. He's wanting to use others. And you know, there's always people out there that aren't part of us, but God is using them too. And it's celebrating whoever God wants to use. And if he's using somebody out there, let's celebrate it. Let's not try to stop it. Eh? Because we haven't got the market cornered yet on the kingdom of God. We never will. The kingdom is always bigger than us. And then there's this big whammy where they're walking through Samaria and the Samaritans aren't receiving them. And here they are wanting to bring fire down from heaven and to make the Samaritans toast. A ministry of condemnation and judgment. And Jesus says this amazing thing to them. You don't know what spirit you're of. Now, now this is quite challenging because in the spirit world, there is the Holy Spirit. And then there is the demonic realm. So if they're not of the Holy Spirit, then when he's saying to them, you don't know what spirit you're of, if they're not of the Holy Spirit, what other spirit is influencing them? It's certainly from the demonic realm. And so here it is disciples who are influenced in their attitude by spirits from the demonic realm because they're wanting to bring condemnation and it's the devil that's come to still, steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. They're not bringing life, they're bringing condemnation. So even though Jesus has sent them out they're still working through some issues and clearly the spiritual atmosphere among them is not one of the heavenly realms right now. It's something else. Now, I want to show you how the atmosphere shifts. How the culture changes by what Jesus does and by what he instructs the 70 to do. I believe this, that these instructions are not just for the, the 12 and the 70. They're for anybody else who's a true disciple of Jesus. 
And if we will take a hold of this instruction that our Lord gave the 70, if we will apply it in our own lives, I believe we have the capacity to see atmospheres shift and cultures change. It's as we partner with the Holy Spirit, that's when heaven comes to earth because the kingdom is in the Spirit. It's in the Holy Spirit. So let's check it out in chapter 10. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. In these few short words of instruction, Jesus gives several keys that if we will take them and use them, I believe it will have an incredible effect for kingdom advance. And they're so simple that so often we overlook them. And in overlooking them, we then try to adopt methods that we think society uses. And that's why so often we don't see the results of shifting atmospheres and changing cultures that we want to see. And I believe God wants us to come back to Jesus' methodology and Jesus' way of doing it. And as we partner with him, we will see so much more effect of heaven coming to earth. So what are the things that he asks us to do that are so simple that sometimes we can step over it and neglect it and not receive it? Well, the first thing he says, this is in verse 5, Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. The first thing that Jesus asks his disciples to do is to bless. Because blessing brings a shift in the spiritual atmosphere and environment. You know what it's like sometimes you turn up on a Sunday morning. And uh, you might have had a bit of a frazzled journey to get here. And then the musicians start and, and the worship starts. And whenever we focus on Jesus, whenever we bless him, things begin to change. And 
you know what it's like 20 minutes in, 30 minutes in. You're feeling very differently because you're in an environment of blessing that causes your heart to be changed and adjusted. Now, blessing, the power to bless is very powerful through our lips and through our lives. And so Jesus says, first thing you do is not to tell them about me. The first thing you do is to say peace to them, is to bless people, and that in blessing, it shifts the atmosphere so that they can receive the next step. Marge and I began doing this a number of years ago because the location where we lived, we had lived there probably five, six years and uh, hadn't seen anybody come to the Lord. And I felt challenged that here we are, a salt and light in our community, and we hadn't seen any fruit. And this teaching that I'm giving you today, I heard back in the early 1980s from an American missionary to Argentina called Orville Swindle. His his brother is the more famous sibling, Chuck Swindle, who wrote many books, but Orville is one of my heroes simply because he experienced a move of the Spirit in Argentina, and uh, he brought this teaching that really began to impact my life. And when they were in Argentina, uh, at that time it was a a very secular country. It hadn't received the move of the Spirit that has now changed it and made it such a, a revival hotspot in the world. And God spoke to Orville and to other men with him that in being in Argentina, they weren't to condemn. They weren't to bring judgment. They weren't to criticize what's going on there. Even though there was a lot of stuff that wasn't good, you understand, the first thing they were to do was to bless and to say peace. Peace to the cities that they were living in and peace to the communities that they were living in. And this helped to bring change to the spiritual environment. And so in our home in Leicester, God reminded me of what Orville had shared those number of years ago. And so in my home, I would pray for the street. And I would, first of all, go down the street in my mind to next-door neighbors who were Hindus. And I said, I pray blessing on them in Jesus' name. I bless the husband and the wife, the kids that were living at home and the grandkids that were living there because they were an extended family. Then I went down to the next house, blessed who they were, went across the street, went up the street to bless every home, came back across the street and down the street and bless us, Lord. Bless Marge and I and our own family. And it just took a, you know, a little while to go down the street and across and back. But I felt the Lord say to me, persist in doing this. Just speak blessing to every house. Okay, here's the next thing. Verse 7. In that 
culture, they were going from house to house, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. The next thing is this, fellowship with people. Have meals with them, even eat their food. Now, I really believe this is where it becomes countercultural to our Christian traditions. Because our Christian traditions are, we don't associate with sinners. Especially those that are industrial strength sinners who are really into it. It's like, let's back right off because we keep ourselves pure and unspotted. This is not what Jesus did. Jesus was known to be a friend of sinners and publicans. And he enjoyed eating the food of people that the Pharisees were going, whoa, I don't even be seen with them. So for instance, Zacchaeus is hiding up a tree and Jesus picks him out and says, come on down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to eat your food. Now going to his house because he was a tax collector, was something that the Pharisees would have never done. Because he was a man that was getting taxes for the Romans from his own countrymen. More than that, he was taking more than he should have and lining his own pockets. And so the money that he had to buy the food that Jesus ate was extorted money. You understand? And Jesus isn't there thinking, I can't possibly eat at his home. He's saying, I'm inviting myself. I'm coming and I'm going to eat your food that has been bought by extorted money. Of course, Zacchaeus was undone by the love of Jesus, wasn't he? Just the fact that Jesus would honor him by coming to his home. This is what Jesus does. His heart connection with people just takes the wind out of their sails. His love just touches their hearts in a way that other people, the religious people, didn't. This is exactly what happened when the lady came into Simon the Pharisee's house and saw Jesus there and she began crying. She'd known many men. But she'd never known a man that loved her like this man loved her. He was so pure. His love was so beautiful. And she began crying over him. And wiping the tears with her hair. Because of her love for him. She took that alabaster box which was oh so expensive. Broke it open and poured it out over him. Smell and the aroma of it filled the house. And the Pharisee was tut-tutting to say, if this man were a prophet, he'd known what kind of woman she was. He would know that 
she had gained this perfume through immoral funds. And Jesus wasn't fussed at all where the funds came from. What touched him was the fact that this woman's heart was responsive in love to him and that he said he, that she who is forgiven much loves much. Simon, you didn't offer me any water. You didn't offer me a bowl. You didn't offer me a towel. But she, ever since I came into the house, hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Hasn't stopped pouring out her love. Jesus loved to fellowship with those that the religious community didn't. And when we eat with people, when we are in their homes, and when we interact with them, it means that we be real with them. That we're not trying to be something that we're not. People are looking for other people who are real these days. Authentic and genuine. They don't want religious platitudes. They don't want quick fix answers. They want people who are going through their own challenges of life where they can share heart with them and not be condemned and not be judged, but be loved in the process. And so in blessing the people in the neighborhood like we did I really believe in the spiritual realm. It softened the soil for what was then taking place. And um, the couple opposite us uh, loved to their long lawn, piece of grass, which they would uh, put some trestle tables out on. And they'd love to say, hey, bring your food, and we'll all just get together, and we'll, we'll have a street party. And so uh, we'd show up, and inevitably... Um, the neighbors would bring food and they would bring drink and lots of it. And uh, certainly after a few hours, the uh, neighbors were well lubricated with the wine and the beer and the alcohol that they brought. And, you know, being well lubricated, they then began to let their defenses down and just be very honest. And some of the language was a bit choice. But, you know, it's really important not to be offended because, you know, if, if you're going to meet with sinners, they can't help but sinning. So, hey, you know, this is what sinners do. And we don't get offended, but we just keep loving and, and just keep connecting. And because of the conversations that we had in those moments of honesty and reality as we share in and we shared that, you know, what we were doing and how we were involved in church life. And they were amazed because uh, they hadn't come across Christians before like this who would sit with them and, and chat with them this way. When they hit crises in their lives, they came knocking on our door. When the couple opposite, when his mum got taken into hospital and put on a life support machine, they got all the family together and they knocked on our door and said, would you come to our home and pray for our family? And I walked into their lounge and their three daughters and their partners and 
the mum and dad were there, and they were just ready to receive prayer. But it didn't start with, first of all, sharing about Jesus. It started first with blessing them, speaking peace to them that changed the spiritual atmosphere. Then it involved eating with them, sharing life with them. And in the context of sharing life, this is what Jesus says, heal those in it who are sick. Because when people share out of the hurt and pain of their life, we're then able to minister to the felt needs. They entrust us with where they're at in life so that we can then pray for them. And this is a big issue for them because people don't know where to turn to. And especially in our society, people are running out of options. And they've tried things and it's not worked and they're, they're tired of trying and they've, they're running out of options. And the, the hope that has been offered, whether it's through the, the medical fraternity, and I bless that me medical fraternity, but sometimes it doesn't have all the answers. Neither does the social security system that our nation offers. It doesn't provide all the answers. Or the, the job scene, instead of having well-paid jobs, people can only get low-paid jobs. And, and people are running out of options, and they want prayer. The issue is that they see you as clearly carrying something that they don't have. And they don't know how to get to God. They don't know his number. The fact that you're offering to make a call for them is really touching to them. And where I had to overcome this hurdle was the thought in my mind, what if I pray for them then and nothing happens? And for Jesus... He's not wanting us to fuss about that. And for people, they're not wanting for us to fuss about that because it's not so much the answered prayer that's the issue. It's the kindness and the love of people that touches their heart, the fact that they're willing to connect. Guess what? I have discovered that the unsaved have more faith in a God than the believers who are making the prayers. That's the reality that I've experienced, that the unbelievers are willing to pray for you and ready to receive as you make prayers. And so in this scenario, we, we prayed for this, this, this couple opposite, and they were so touched. Long story short, this couple, because of the testimony, because of the interactions that were going on, came to the Lord. They're now part of the church with us. They're one of the key leaders in the Alpha program. They love leading people to Jesus, and they love discipling people in the ways of Jesus. This is the kind of fruit that God is giving. Didn't first of all start with them, though. It started with the couple two doors down. That's where the cracks began to occur. We didn't know in blessing everybody around where the breakthrough would come. So, sweetheart, do you want to come and just share this testimony? Because uh, Marge played a significant part in this. And uh, there you go. Hi. Um, yeah, so uh, we had a couple two doors down. 
uh, Liz and Jeff. And Liz had a heart condition that she'd had since she was a child. So she would never be, you know, sitting and getting drunk like everyone else was. Um, I said, you know, you could chat to Liz without the conversation becoming bizarre, as it does often when... <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a nice way of putting it, bizarre. And, um, but anyway, we had um, a guy that had suddenly seen this move of God in his church in Birmingham, which is probably an hour's drive from us. And uh, he was just seeing miracles and everything. So we, we just felt to invite him to do a healing meeting at our church building. And I hadn't seen Liz for quite a while, simply because they led busy lives and, and we were busy. And, and we just went through those seasons sometimes. But I felt God saying to me that I needed to go and invite her to that because of her heart condition. I mean, she got around, she drove, you know, she shopped and everything. Um, and I was really, really nervous. And, you know, is this God? Is this not God? You do this battle. And in the end, I thought, okay, I'll go down. I knocked on the door. And there was a wheelchair in their porch. And it turned out that Liz had become really, really ill. And she only had two months to live. And uh, she was distraught. And Jeff was distraught. And so, and Jeff was one of the ones that loved his drink. And, you know, he was the one that would, you know, just be bizarre as it was. His behavior changed and his language changed when we all got together. And so I just said what I'd come from. I said, this guy's seen amazing miracles happen as he's prayed for the sick. And so Jeff was a kind of like, mm, and Liz said, well, it I don't know. I have to take pills at a certain time and I can't even walk two doors up to your house. So I said, well, if you decide to come, call us, and we will, the, the back doors of the church opened onto the car park. We will open the doors for you. We got a phone call, let them in the back doors, and we're singing and we're praising, and Jeff is stood there like, I hate this. So anyway, David, the guy that was moving in the signs and wonders at the time, he started to pray for the sick, and Liz went out, and he laid his hands on her, anointed her with oil, and she just fell over on the floor. Now, I forgot to tell you that I'd taken her to various things that were going on church-wise with us. And she had made a commitment. She'd made a prayer of commitment to the Lord, but I hadn't seen anything else. But she did tell me that when she was 12, she said a church lady, which is all she knew, had said to her, your heart is in God's hands. He's told me that, because I think she was 12 when it started. But she'd never really walked with God. But, you know, there's that seed there. Yeah. So when she's on the floor, the guy David said to me, just keep soaking her with prayer. So I knelt beside her, and she said to me, it's okay, it's okay. She said, the fear has gone. Yeah. And to her, it didn't matter what happened to her. It was the fear of dying had left her. Anyway, you know, we... Two days later, we're, Ian is out washing the car, and Jeff walks up, and he was totally freaked because he said, David, the guy, came over and shook hands with him, so he thinks, okay. So he's holding his hand, and he said, he kept hold of my hand, which he's thinking, weird, awkward. <laughs> but he said, now I've realized is that the hand he was shook, I've been having treatment for my shoulder for years, but it's healed. And what freaked him was, he's he said, if I'm not in control, who is? <laughs> so anyway, Liz, 
started to improve. And Jeff and her joined this guy's church because of such a heart connection. And we don't care that they didn't come to us. You know, that they have got saved. They found a home. And he became a, uh, one of David's right-hand man and traveled with him. Yeah. And he came to me a few years later, he just knocked on the door and he said, I want to thank you for your courage in coming down and knocking on our door. Because he said... I wouldn't be doing where I am, and Liz wouldn't be still be alive. Liz has since had a heart and kidney transplant and is doing really well. And um, it's just amazing that God did have her heart in his hands. And what is it? Jeff just gave up drinking altogether. Yeah. And he sat at one of the parties later on. He's going to Liz. Was I like them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he also said that David said to him at the time of this meeting is that... David was, you know, preaching away, and he said, and the Holy Spirit said to him, David, you need to shut up praying and pray for the sick, because that man over there is going to leave. <laughs> and he did. And it's just amazing. The knock-on effect is then that our, our other neighbors that threw the party, Steve and Chris, as Ian said, they got saved then because of what happened to Jeff, because they were really close friends. And because we've prayed for them as a family over the years, and one of their daughters was engaged to be married, and then found out that her fiancé was a crack addict, and it just was so devastating. And they asked us, to, she wanted us to pray for her in her lounge. And they haven't got saved yet, haven't the grown-up girls? But this particular one that we prayed for, when she's had a baby with her husband, she said, I know I'm not a churchgoer, but I want something for my baby. It's amazing. She wants better for her baby. And so we've, she said, will you do a blessing for our baby? And we think, we'd love to bless your baby. Absolutely. So we've been, this is the thing. We have been stood in their garden because they've had all the friends around. They've turned it into a party. And we're stood, stood in the middle of all her friends and family. And they've all got their beer cans and their cigarettes and, and everything. And they've just joined in amening as we prayed and prayed prophetic prayers over the baby. So when she had a second one, you know, will you do this again? And so it's just amazing that we are sowing these seeds. And I don't know how long it will take for her to be saved. That's not my problem. No. All I'm doing is what Holy Spirit's told me to do. And Ian and I were talking because we, we blessed one of the waitresses and just spoke to her about her name. She said her name was Amber. This was in Phoenix. I said... That sounds such a warm name. And then I just said to her, you were such a warm person. The way, And we just blessed her. Hmm. And I came out and I went, isn't blessing people such fun? Yeah, yeah. Because the Holy Spirit is fun to be with. Sure. <laughs> and so it's such fun. So it's just, it's just been an amazing journey. And now we're getting to know our new neighbors where we've moved. And we're really excited about what's going to happen there. Sure. Well done, sweetheart. Great. So, yeah, just a year ago, we moved house, and because we learned from our previous uh, home what to do, uh, every morning, we just bless our street. Uh, we open the curtains. We have a view over the street and over our neighborhood, and uh, very often, we'll stand at the window and just bless the street and bless the people, bless the village that we live in, bless the city that we live in. Here's the amazing thing. We started doing it right from the kickoff this time rather than wait a number of years before my brain kicked into a, this is what we need to do. Three weeks after moving in, 
one of the ladies in the church that lives in our village says, I have no idea what's happening, but ever since you moved in, there's been a change in this atmosphere in the village. Now, people detect it. When you bless, blessing has power. Also, criticism, condemnation, and cursing has power. There's spiritual power that is released. If the church, like the disciples, can come out of being critical and being negative and instead blessing, it releases God's spirit to work in people's lives in a way that he couldn't normally have done so because the environment would have not been conducive to his working. Here's the interesting thing. Um, our eldest daughter, the last one, just got married back in August. So, hey, they're all gone, which is wonderful. <laughs> and um, Marge, as ladies do, was breaking in her wedding shoes, sparkly wedding shoes. And so she'd be wearing them around the house. And one day, because the bin needed to be taken out, you know, the wheelie bin? Is that what you call it? Trash can? Okay. I'm trying to speak American. So she's got these sparkly shoes on, and she takes the trash and clippy-clops up the drive, takes it outside, and the neighbor goes, Woo, we have special people living opposite. Look at you with your sparkly shoes taking the trash out. So Marge tells her the story that she's breaking in her shoes because we got a wedding coming up, and... Um, this neighbor is so excited. She loves weddings and uh, wants us to go around. After this trip, she says, come round to our house. Come round for a glass of wine. Let's have all the photos out. I just love wedding photographs. I believe this is a God opportunity for us. The lady right opposite, as we've been blessing the street, this is where there's a crack. The blessing is causing people's hearts to open. So when we get back in November, we're going to go across to her. I'm looking forward to the wine. And we're going to get out the, the, the photographs. And we're going to chat and talk. Already we have uh, been gaining friendship with the neighbors. But here's my heart's desire. That the kingdom of God comes to my street, to my neighborhood. And if we cooperate with the way Jesus asks us to do it, then it's so much easier than trying to do it through human methods. So first of all, we bless. Then we fellowship. Then we pray for their felt needs, whatever that may be. And then the fourth thing that Jesus says is then proclaimed to them, this is down in uh, verse 9, heal those who are in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It's really interesting that proclaiming the kingdom comes as a fourth thing, not a first thing. It's when people feel his presence when people experience his goodness, when they feel his kindness, who wouldn't want him inside when he touches them so beautifully on the outside? And as we put this into practice, it changes the spiritual atmosphere. So let me just show you how this works. Verse 17. 
The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now here's the change, the shift in spiritual environment. That instead of Jesus saying to his disciples, you do not know what spirit you're of. After they had done it his way, after they had seen people's lives become transformed, Jesus says, I saw Satan falling like lightning. Satan was being dethroned in an environment. Instead of Satan's influence increasing, it was being undermined and decreasing because they went out to bless. Because they went out to fellowship and connect and be real and love. Because they went out to pray for people and meet their felt needs. Because they went out to proclaim the kingdom, Satan falls like lightning. Here's my conviction. Whatever stronghold Satan may have in an area or an environment, if we partner with Holy Spirit, do what Jesus called us to do, there is nothing the enemy can do about it. We undermine his base and he falls like lightning out of heaven and a spiritual atmosphere shifts and a culture change and heaven's come, heaven comes to earth in a way that it couldn't have done had we not partnered with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know this morning, I'm going to finish because time is gone. You are really significant. I just, I sense to say this to you, you are significant. Why? Because as human beings, we are the only order in the created pantheon that is made in the image and likeness of God. No other thing is. Not even angels are made in the image and likeness of God. Human beings are. And human beings having been made in the image and likeness of God... We are the ones that have been given authority over this earth to rule it. Co-regents with God to bring his kingdom. The invisible world really understands this. And so the Holy Spirit and angels want to partner with us to bring God's kingdom to earth. The opposite is also true. Demonic spirits want to influence us to bring the world of Satan, the realm of evil, into the world. We become the guardians and keepers for what takes place on the earth. The spirit realm wants cooperation with us. And so in being significant, as we open our hearts to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to the Father's love. This is why this Father's love message is so important because it's more than about me being satisfied and me feeling happy in me. It's what God does in me. My life transformed helps to transform the world around me. Whatever I receive is 
always to give away to others. Freely you've received, freely you give. You guys, you've been a call by God. You have been identified by Him before He even created the earth. Before the foundation of the heavens and the earth, He chose you in Him. Why did He choose you? Not only to be drawn to Him, but for Him to fill you that He might send you to bring transformation to the world around you. I want to say to you this morning, you are significant. Who will you partner with? Will you partner with the realm of heaven and the Holy Spirit? Or will you allow things inside of you, negative attitudes like the disciples had, to cause you to partner with the spirit you know not of? And as you choose to renounce the things that aren't in Christ... As you choose to embrace the things that are in Christ, you forsake what is negative and you embrace all that is in God. He then begins to empower you. He begins to entrust more authority to you, more power to you. God wants to use us to transform our villages, streets, villages, cities, regions, nations. Let me just say this as a final throw in. The answer to America's issues is not the political program. It is now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be, be made known to those that are in the heavenly places. It's going to be by the people of God, understanding their true identity, called to rule and reign in the earth. You are significant. God is calling you into your true identity. Let's stand in his presence. I just want you to open your heart right now. Open yourself before the Lord. Father, I just thank you that you're here by your spirit because you are wanting to bring your people to, into a higher level and a greater measure of understanding of who they are as carrying your power and your authority into the world. And Father, I just say thank you that for every one of these people, you have blessed them so that they may be a blessing and that they may be able to bless others. Lord, we just say you've called us into fellowship with yourself, that out of relationship with you, we might fellowship with those that don't know you so that they may be brought into relationship with yourself. And so we say, let there be a shift today as people partner with you to bring heaven's realm into their world. And while you're here in his presence, I want to see, yourself, see yourselves in your mind's eye as being blessers, first of all, to your own homes. I want to say to you husbands, it's really important you bless your wives. It's really important that you speak blessing over her, even if she may not know it, but you're speaking blessing over her because she is God's precious gift to you. And living with a blessed wife is such a joy to a man. Wives, you can bless your husbands, of course. I want to see you in your mind's eyes blessing out of your home the environment around your home. The neighbors to one side, the neighbors to the other side.
They may not even know that you're blessing them. But the, your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And your blessing is powerful and has the ability to change spiritual atmospheres. And for you that have jobs and you go into work, I just want to see you in your mind's eye, even if as you're driving there, to bless the place of your work. To bless the people that you're going in to interact with. Even at the beginning of a day, that you can bless your day and invite God into your day to come and fill it. You call the day blessed. Tomorrow morning you can say, it may be Monday, I bless this day, I call this day blessed. I'm carrying blessing wherever I'm going. I'm going to bring the blessing of heaven to every person and to every place that I go. And so as you bless your workplaces, it's going to shift the spiritual atmosphere. People might not understand what's going on, but you're carrying heaven into your environment. And so, Father, I just say thank you for your calling on these precious people. And I say let them be released into a new measure of carrying blessing, carrying heart connection with people, meeting their felt needs, and bringing your kingdom in greater measure and we give you all honor and praise for the privilege of partnering with you in seeing heaven come to earth. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.